0: Well, we're turning back again to Colossians chapter three, and uh, we move on into verse 13 uh, this evening. Just for those who haven't been here over the past few weeks, we've been considering this topic of the Christian's clothes. These are spiritual garments that the apostle Paul instructs us here in verses 12, 13, and 14 to put on. And we're to wear these wonderful clothes, as we said, for glory and for beauty. And so far we've considered the first five of these Christian's clothes. But tonight we move on to the next garment, which is there at the beginning of verse 13, forbearing one another. And this is uh, one of the many one another statements uh, that Paul uses in his letters. Um, We actually have two here back to back, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. It'd actually make quite an interesting series just to look at some of the one another's that Paul uh, uses in his letters. We're told, for example, to greet one another, to love one another, to salute one another, to comfort one another, to admonish one another. Uh, we're told to serve one another, told not to judge one another. There's a whole load of them, and uh, you could do a whole series on them. It'd make an interesting uh, study. But tonight our focus is here on this one: forbearing one another. And those of you who were here last week will recall that we spent quite a bit of time looking very closely at the previous item, which was long-suffering. And we looked at the definition of this grace and the distinctiveness of this grace. And we said that long-suffering is this protracted restraining of our souls from uh, yielding to angry passion, outbursts of rage and, and anger. And we noted that this was distinct from patience. Patience being that firm resolve to endure difficult and trying circumstances. And so there was this distinction between long-suffering and patience. Patience was with things, trials, afflictions and so on, whereas long-suffering is a restraint exercised towards people. And that's why we said that God is described as being long-suffering And in that sense, he is not patient. But this evening, though, we have this next grace, forbearing one another. And forbearing means to tolerate. It means to suffer and bear with other people. Forbearing one another is to sort of put up with someone. And uh, so we could say that on on face value, it appears that this is just another way of saying uh, long-suffering, You know, to forbear and tolerate people and their provocations and their unkindness. And we could also say that it seems to have a bit of patience mixed in there, because the word bear there seems to, you know, convey this idea of gritting your teeth and, uh, you know, showing some resolve and perseverance. So again, we're left with this question, just as we were with last week, you know, what distinguishes this grace? And I think the distinction is this that long suffering is holding back our anger when we're provoked when people sin deliberately against us and this sin of course it takes many forms doesn't it people may slander us they may speak ill of us they may say unkind words to us they may even physically hurt us or lie about us and so when people sin against us we're to restrain that passion that wants to just retaliate and we'd love to get our own back There used to be a programme, didn't there? I used to love watching it as a child, Get Your Own Back. It was a a wonderful programme, but I'm not endorsing it. But the idea was that you got your own back on someone that you didn't like. But we're to be long-suffering. But forbearing one another is restraining ourselves, not because we've been sinned against, but rather it's suffering and showing forbearance just because of daily life. Daily living in a sinful world. It's enduring and putting up with people as we rub alongside others. And as Christians, Paul tells us here, we are to be forbearing one another. So this evening I want us to look at this grace, and I want to answer a number of questions very quickly with you. And the first question that perhaps we could ask is, why do we need to display this grace? Why is forbearance so necessary? And the simple answer to that question is because of sin. Sin and the effects of sin are all around us, aren't they? Sin has twisted and it's distorted this world, it's unhinged the whole of creation. Nothing is as it should be, is it? Nations and governments rage against God, families often are dysfunctional, even the church so often is sadly divided. Sin is everywhere and sin has utterly corrupted every part of this world. And as Christians, we can often look on, can't we, in frustration. We can look on it with sort of an irritation at what is taking place around the world. We can be vexed, we can be annoyed, we can be angered, even upset by what we hear, by what we see. And I think this is particularly appropriate and applicable today because we receive so much news today, don't we? It's constant. You can get news 24 hours on your phone. And you're hearing not just what's happening in your area, but throughout the the world. And we're just hearing constantly of so much sin. And as God's people, it can irritate us, it can anger us. But Paul says we should be forbearing. Those of you who've been here over the past few weeks will recall that we said that humbleness of mind back in verse 12 was really the foundation of the next four graces. It's the foundation that is... That meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another is built upon. And you remember that when we looked at this humility, this humbleness of mind, uh, part of that humility was having a correct view of God's, correct understanding of who God is. And we have to remember that when we turn on the news, we have a sovereign God's. He reigns, he is in control, he is the one who is ruling over all things. And of course the wonderful thing is that as God's people we can say he is our father. He cares for us as his children, he is faithful, he is kind. Sin may have unhinged this world but God is still reigning. And so there's the the, the why but then we could answer the question well how? How are we to display this forbearance? You know, are we to display this forbearance with a forced smile and uh, you know, sort of gritted teeth? And well, of course not. That's not what Paul is uh, telling us here. That's not the attitude that we should have as Christians. Instead, just turn back with me to Ephesians chapter four, the passage that we read. But if we go back to the beginning of the chapter, verses one and two, Paul tells us how we're to display this grace. And he says this in verse 1, Ephesians 4, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. And so the apostle instructs us here that this forbearing one another should be done in love. Love love should be the attitude behind all our forbearance. And uh, God willing, in a few weeks, we will see that love is actually the grace that binds all of these other graces together. We have it there in verse 14. We'll, uh, trust if we get that far, we'll see that uh, if all the other uh, graces here are like clothes, love is the belt that holds all these clothes together and holds them up. And Paul tells us here we're to show meekness with love, we're to show humbleness of mind with love, and we're to show forbearance with or in love. But this then leads me on to ask another question, and that is, where are we to display this forbearance? Well, we've already uh, mentioned uh, in a sense that we're to display this grace in our daily lives as we live in this sinful and corrupt world. But I think it's clear from what Paul says here in Colossians 3 that this grace is particularly applicable within the setting of the church. He's writing to a church after all here in Colossae, a group of believers. Those, as he says back in uh, verse 3, their life is hid with Christ in God's, they follow the Lord. And he doesn't just say be forbearing in verse 13, but he says forbearing one another it was to be amongst themselves um, especially in this fellowship you're to be forbearing with those within the church and so this grace has a a special focus we might say with fellow believers and uh, I think it's worth saying isn't it that at times we can become irritated with each other within the church we may at times rub each other up the wrong way but Paul says we're to be forbearing, we're to forbear with one another within the fellowship of the church, not through gritted teeth as we said, not so we just don't cause a scene within the church life, but we're to be forbearing as he says in love with our fellow believers, they are loved by Christ, they've been bought with the same blood and so we're to love one another and to be forbearing with one another. But then this leads me to a fourth question, and that is what? Uh, what is the purpose of displaying forbearance? And to answer that question, just turn back with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, we read verses 1 and 2 there in Ephesians chapter 4. But notice what he goes on to say in verse 3. He says, Forbearing one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace and so the purpose of forbearing one another within the context of the church is to keep unity and it's to preserve peace it's to maintain that fellowship and togetherness in the book of Acts it's described isn't it as being of one accord you remember how the believers so often are described as being of one accord they're in symphony together that's what it literally means a whole load of instruments that all Join together, and they make one harmonious sound. All different instruments, but one accord in symphony together. And Paul says this here: Look, it's for the unity of the spirits. That's why we forbear. We we, we do this to keep this unity. And, and when we do not forbear, when we give in to that irritation and, and we get angry and we get annoyed, that is what grieves the Holy Spirit, as we read in verse thirty. That's what causes the, this, the, the Holy Spirit, as it were, to be upset and grieved. And we read those verses there. We, we read about uh, how we're not to have corrupt communication and so on. And it talks about bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and evil speaking and malice and so on. There's the opposite of forbearance. And that's what destroys the unity of the Spirit and it shatters the peace of the church. And so Paul says, no, no, no. Put those things off, as we had read before. It's a very similar passage. It tells us to put off the old man. Be forbearing with one another. Well, we've seen, uh, you know, why we're to display this forbearance because of sin. And we've seen how we're to display it, uh, with, it with love. We've noted uh, where we're to display it, particularly within the church. And we've noted the purpose of displaying it, and that's to promote this unity and this peace but what I'd like us to do with the rest of the time this evening is to look at some practical examples of forbearing with one another Now we've been saying over and over again in these studies that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ he exemplifies all these graces doesn't he he is our example par excellence he is he is the one who is so uh, displays these so perfectly and he it's true of this particular grace here forbearing one another And of course you see Christ's forbearance, particularly with his disciples. And so very quickly, I want us just to look at a few areas and a few examples where uh, we see Christ's forbearance and I trust it will help us to see how we can be forbearing uh, one with another. So the first area that I want us to see Christ's forbearance is with different characters. Christ chose 12 disciples, 12 different and unique individuals. Some of them had Similarities. Some of them had the same profession. Some of them had the same parents. But they were all individual characters, weren't they? They had uh, very obvious differences. You have Matthew, a publican. You have Luke, a doctor. Nathaniel was a man in whom there was no guile. Peter was impetuous. John displayed such wonderful affection, didn't he? And yet Christ is so forbearing with them all. Just take John, for example, such affection to his Savior, but his affection often boiled over, didn't it? Just turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20 and uh, verse 20. This is the passage where John's mother uh, comes. John and James's mother comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And she asks in verse 21 that her two sons would sit on either side of Christ when he was in his kingdom. Now, it's clear in verse 22 it was not only the desire of their mother but James and John clearly desired this for themselves because Christ, he directs his question to them and they answered him. We are able when he gives this this question to them. So it's clearly not only the mother's desire but it was their desire too and perhaps they'd put their mother up to asking this particular question. And... And John, in his love, he desired more than he should have, really, here, shouldn't he? He loved the Saviour, but he's desired more than was, uh, should be given to him. But Christ has to be forbearing with them. And he answers them very graciously, doesn't he? And you notice in verse 24, when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation. So you've got these two disciples who want to be seated at the right and the left hand of Christ... They've asked for more than they, than they should have done. And then the other ten hear it, they're indignant and they're upset. But Christ is so forbearing with them. And he speaks to them and he answers their questions and he dissipates the situation. And he has to, you see this all the way through the Gospels, how he has to be so forbearing with his, with his disciples, just like a, a father with, with his children. And we have to be forbearing with one another, don't we? We're all different characters. We all have our foibles and our idiosyncrasies and our quirks and we're all unique and individual we have different likes different dislikes different backgrounds and upbringings and perhaps we come from different cultures but we're to be forbearing with one another despite all our idiosyncrasies and despite all our differences despite how we tick or don't tick and Christ was so forbearing wasn't he with all these different characters within his disciples I think there's another, another area that we could think of, and that was that Christ was forbearing with the doubtful. Christ was forbearing with the doubtful. This time turn with me to John chapter 20. I'm sure you'll remember this particular occasion, John chapter 20. And if we look at verse 24 there, and following, this passage is the one that deals with Thomas as you read the Gospels and the relatively few occasions when Thomas speaks, it would appear that he was a melancholy and sort of despondent sort of person. He was a glass half empty kind of guy. And here, Thomas, he's yet to see the risen Christ in verse 24. All the others have seen him. They're absolutely convinced of the truth that Christ has bodily risen from the dead. But Thomas doubts it. Verse 25, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe, he says. He wants further definitive proof. Now, if we had been in Christ's shoes to speak reverently and we had heard those words of Thomas, perhaps a little voice in side, our heads would say, I'm not going to show myself to him maybe even have a thought inside a head, well, I'll deliberately show myself to the other disciples. Or even to say to Thomas, well, it was your fault. Why were you not there in the upper room with all the rest of the disciples? And we could have, you know, I'm just speaking perhaps for myself here, but got a little kick out of it of deliberately not revealing yourself to Thomas. But Christ is not like us, is he? He's forbearing. Look at verse 26 and 27. You see how the Lord Jesus Christ, eight days later, he comes. Thomas is with them. The doors are shut, but Jesus, he stands in the midst of them. Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas. He turns to Thomas. He looks at Thomas. He knows Thomas's doubts and his fears in that sense. And he speaks directly to him. And he gives him the evidence that, that, it, that is needed. And friends, we have to be forbearing with our brothers and our sisters in Christ who perhaps at times can have doubts. Doubt is like a shoot that springs round the stock of truth and it strangles truth. And we can all have our doubts. And if for a moment we think, you know, well, this is not an issue I have, you know, I stand firm, we have to take heed lest we fall. Because even John the Baptist had doubts. You remember the words in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 3 when when John the Baptist was in prison. And he sends two of his disciples to Jesus. And they come to Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 3. And they ask this question on behalf of John the Baptist. And they say, Art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? And there's John in, in, in the prison and he, and he has doubts. Is, is, is Jesus, are you the Christ? Are you the one? I love this passage. You know, go down into, you go back into. Down us rather into verse 11. We're told that among uh, them that are born of women, there have not risen a greater than John the Baptist. And yet here's the greatest man to have ever lived apart from Christ, and yet he has doubts. But Christ is forbearing with him, isn't he? You notice that Christ does with John exactly what he had done with Thomas. He provides further proof and he points to the truth. He answers his question. And friends, we may meet Christians who have doubts. we're to be forbearing and the best way that we can be forbearing is to graciously and lovingly bring them back to the truth point them to scripture they may have doubts about their salvation doubts about assurance doubts about Christ and who Christ is but we bring them back to the Bible and we point them to the truths of God's word and the promises of God's words so we see Christ forbearing with the doubtful but another area that we could think of is uh, his forbearing with the weak forbearing with the weak and i'm talking particularly about those who are weak in faith there are many occasions aren't there in the gospels where christ says to his disciples "O ye of little faith he says it in the sermon on the mount in matthew 6 and and verse 30 about worries and about the future he says you know remember that god clothes The grass, which tomorrow is, and and is cast into the oven, or you could think of the time uh, when the disciples they were uh, scared in the storm on the sea, and Christ was asleep in in the vessel in Matthew chapter eight, and they'd forgotten that the very Creator of the seas was asleep there next to them, and He was in their midst, and even while He was asleep, He could have delivered them. Remember, they wake Him up, and He says to them, "Why are you so fearful, O ye?" Of little faith. And yet despite their weak faith. Christ is so forbearing. Paul actually instructs us doesn't he. To be forbearing with the weak. Remember what he says in Romans chapter 14. And verse 1. He says him that is weak in the faith. Receive ye. Remember the words concerning the character of Christ. In Isaiah 42. A bruised reed shall he not break. And the smoking flax. Shall he not quench? He was forbearing with the weak. And friends, we should be forbearing with those whose faith is little and their faith is is weak. We should be like Christ. We should seek to fan the smoking embers of of their love and tenderly and gently deal with that bruised reed. Christ was so forbearing with his disciples when their faith was so weak and little but moving on we can think of another area where Christ was forbearing and that was with the slow Christ was forbearing with the slow and there were times weren't there where the disciples were so slow to understand so slow to understand what Christ was teaching Christ's teaching was so clear it was with authority, it was so plain but at times Christ had to upbraid them didn't he for their their slowness Many remember when he told the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4 and uh, he is speaking to them about this uh, parable. He's just given the parable to them and they come to him and they want to know. And he said unto them in, in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 13, he says, "'Know ye not this parable? And how then will you know all parables?' I've just told a a very simple parable to you disciples. You've not understood it. It's a simple parable. If you don't understand this parable, how will you understand all the parables? And again, if that was us, we could have said, what a waste of time. I used to know a gentleman who was um, one of the top sheepdog trainers in the country. And uh, a lady I knew went to see him to get some training and he basically said to her, well, when you get to a certain level, I will then think about considering teaching you. But he wasn't prepared, you see, to deal with, with, the, with her when she was at the lower end of the, of the level. He said, no, no, once you get to a certain level, then I'll think about teaching you. But you see, Christ doesn't do that with his disciples here. Christ doesn't say, well, when you've reached a certain level of understanding, then I'll begin to explain these things. No, though I'm too high and lofty to, to deal with poor you know fishermen like you no he comes along and he explains the parable he sits down with them and says right let's go through this parable the seed means this the sower is me and so on and he and he shows to them he's so forbearing with them even though they're slow in their in their understanding it's just like the two on the road to Emmaus isn't it Remember that passage in Luke's Gospel. And Jesus says to them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You've not understood. But does he leave it there? No, he begins at Moses and goes through all the prophets and he explains to the things concerning himself. He's so forbearing. And friends, we should be forbearing of those who are slower to grasp spiritual truths Just like with children, we may have to repeat things over and over again to them until they grasp it, but we shouldn't get impatient. They need to be taught line by line, precept upon precept. We need to explain these things. And sometimes we may have to do it over and over again to them because we are, aren't we? We're all slow to understand. And we're all weak in that sense and slow to understand what often the Bible teaches us. Let me just give you two more examples very quickly of how Christ is forbearing. Christ is also forbearing with the fallen, isn't he? Think about Peter. Peter spectacularly fell, didn't he? He Fell from grace. He denied Christ. And in that courtyard, you remember how Jesus looked at Peter and he wept bitterly and he realised that he had sinned. And you could, Peter wondered, you can see it, can't you, in his mind, you know, will I ever be restored? will the Lord Jesus Christ ever show his love to me again? Will he, will he ever, you know, show that same favour to me? You remember the words in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 16, the resurrection. Mark chapter 16 and verse 7. It's a wonderful little verse when you, when you think about Christ forbearing with those who, who fall and who fall into sin. Mark chapter 16 and verse 7 he says, but go your way, tell his disciples and Peter. That's wonderful, isn't it? Go and tell the disciples that I've risen. Go and tell them that I've, 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 I'm, I'm, I've conquered death and Peter. Peter needs to hear these words, especially, Peter denied me, Peter has sinned against me, but go and tell him, bring these words of comfort to him. And you recall the, the whole passage in John chapter 21 when the Lord Jesus Christ meets him and speaks to him. And he's so uh, tender with him and so gracious to him. And, and you recall that scene there in John chapter 21 and he talks about feeding his sheep. And we haven't time to go into this, but if you have read any of the Greek in this passage, you know how Jesus says to, to Peter, lovest thou me? And he uses a particular Greek word for love there. But Peter uses a different Greek word when he says, you know that I love you. And twice Jesus uses this word, but when it comes to the third time, Jesus uses the same word as Peter, and he comes in this forbearing way. And he deals with him so graciously and so tenderly, even though he had failed his master. And friends, when someone falls in the church and they sin to be forbearing we've all sinned haven't we we've all come short of the glory of God we all need to daily repent we all need to die daily to our sins and we should seek to restore our brother or our sister in Christ and we're to do it in love we're to do it graciously forbearing with them but one final area where we can see Christ's forbearance and, and that's his forbearing with those who are disappointing those who are disappointing. And this element of Christ's forbearance of his disciples I think we see particularly towards the end of his life and his ministry. You think particularly of Gethsemane. You just go back a couple of chapters into Mark chapter 14 and you have this whole passage here of when they're in the garden of Gethsemane and we're told in Luke's Gospel that he had instructed the disciples to watch with him. He, he says to them, you know, you need to watch with me. But he comes back a few moments later in Mark chapter 14 and he finds them asleep in verse 37. And he says unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldest not thou watch one hour? Verse 38, watch ye and pray lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And this happens three times They disappointed the Saviour in his hour of great need and and, and great suffering as he's in agony there in the garden. In a few moments, they're going to be scattered as the shepherd is smitten. They're going to flee from him. They're going to all abandon him. And friends, I wonder if you've ever thought about this, just how disappointing it must have been for, for, for Christ. And when you get to the cross, there's Christ and he looks out and there's this vast multitude in front of him. There's the mob, there's the crowd, there's the Roman soldiers. But there's only a handful of his followers. And who are they? They're just a few women. And John. You know, where were the rest of them? Where were all the others that had followed him all his life? Only a few standing there by the cross as they, as they weep. And there's times, isn't there, in our Christian experience when we will be let down by other Christians. There'll be times when perhaps we expect others to to back us and to stand by our side and to stand for the truth, but they slink away and and they hide in the shadows, and it'll be disappointing. Spurgeon found that, didn't he, with the whole downgrade controversy? Hardly anyone stood with him. But Christ, he was forbearing. You think of all what he does after the resurrection. Even before that, you go to John's Gospel, John chapter 17 and see what he's doing even before he knows they're gonna, the, the sheep are going to be scattered. He knows they're going to forsake him. And in John chapter 17 and verse 9, look at what he's, this is what he's doing in the upper room. I pray for them, he says in John 17 verse 9. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. He he's, brings his disciples who are going to forsake him and disappoint him to the throne of grace. What a pattern that is for us to pray for those who've disappointed us. And after his resurrection, he meets with them and he he gives them, teaches them again, and he gives them the gift of the Spirit when he departs. What forbearance. And it's true, isn't it, that in a sense Christ is so forbearing with us. How often do we disappoint our Savior? How often do we not stand up for the truth? How often do we not confess? The lord before other men and we hide in the times we can be ashamed to own the name of christ but christ is so forbearing with us isn't he and friends we must be forbearing too well time has gone and but we can pray tonight can't we that god would help us to be those who are forbearing one with another forbearing with one another in love